There's this proverb around worry, which is worry that is like smoke. It's neither, you're neither lit in action nor still in inaction. And so, yeah, do we spend life worrying about the future, about the unknown, around these deeper questions? Or is it a joyful curiosity? And I think so much, Jared, so much of that is shaped by our early life and experiences. The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long-form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. This episode of the Strive for More podcast is brought to you by the Strive Accelerator, which is a weekly mastermind group for entrepreneurs. So if you're not seeing the success you want, or you're searching for a community of like-minded business owners, then send an email to jared at striveaccelerator.ca to book a call and learn more. Our next guest is an advisor, investor, keynote speaker, and leader in building conscious communities and has accelerated and invested in leaders across mission-driven ventures and high-growth companies. He has been a contributor for journals like Harvard Business Review, Business Insider, Forbes, Washington Post, and Real Leaders. He is most proud of his volunteer and advisory roles on ventures for resilient schools, the local economy, prisoner rehabilitation, and youth leadership. He's a 20-year student of meditation master, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, and he teaches meditation and breath workshops to leaders around the world. He holds a BA in business from Maharishi University of Management with a focus on sustainability and has given a TEDx talk with an organic reach of more than 100,000 views titled The Power of Kindness. Please welcome our next guest, Johan Berlin. Well, Johan, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Lovely to be here with you. Yeah, excited for our conversation today. Me too. And to get right into it... in speaking to you and in doing research on you prior to this episode, I ran across something that you had said, and that has made just a, a really massive difference in my life. And you were talking about the difference between a question and a wonder. Do you mind going into what you meant by that? Yeah. So so it's actually something I, I learned from somebody incredibly wise, uh, a teacher out of India. Um, who, Sri Sri? Yeah, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, uh, a, a global a spiritual leader and humanitarian who's doing um, peace work around the world and uh, right now a lot of trauma relief across India during the, the COVID pandemic, but just really has been an inspiration for me. And I think I think the, the place I would start with that is is just company of the wise. Company, the company we choose to surround ourselves is so important around the, the questions we ask, the questions and the wonders that we hold. There's actually this word in Sanskrit, it means sangha, and it means company of the wise. And I think in my own, in my own life, Jared, a wonder for me is, you know, uh, and this is, this is 100% genuine, how have I been so fortunate to end up where I am, given all the potential pathways I could have gone down? I mean, that's a wonder that I, that I, that, that I think about a lot. Um, in fact, I, I've been asked, <clears throat> I've been asked, you know, how did, how did your life change so much? Uh, by many, many people. I don't know if you watched, you know, uh, my London, my London TED talk, but, um, but I, that's how I started. I really, I, I was really grappling with that wonder. And I, and I don't think there's ever one answer. You know, we always want the simple answer. We always want to, 
do categorical thinking and kind of attribute things to a single event or a perfect narrative that explains how we how we've gotten where we are or why a certain thing happened a certain way. And so this miracle of life, this miracle of emergent possibility, this miracle of opportunities to change, redemption, uh, new career pathways, um, healing, um, uh, inspiration, ideally inspiration to serve others. Uh, it's such a magical thing. It's such a complex and, and, tapestry of 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 um of subtle subtle events nudges kindness from others um incredible good fortune to to be in a place in time where you have those opportunities um so that's a wonder for me like how does this phenomenon of life and the many at least in my case the many good fortunes i have to count like how did that come to be? And what's beautiful about that particular wonder is that if I do it sincerely, it almost always brings me back to gratitude, which is I don't need to know. <laughs> I feel <laughs> grateful, right? I can just feel grateful that 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 I have this moment, that I have choices, and um, and and that whatever the reason, whatever that reason that I am where I am, it's, um, it's a blessing if you want to use that word, or it's, it's incredible good luck. If you like more business terms like Jim Collins, you know, Jim Collins has this great phrase, return on luck. I kind of have this thought like return on blessings in life. Like, and so I think that's where, that's where that wonder also leads to. Yes. Who knows? It's better to just be grateful and grateful brings more fullness and abundance. But it's also about preparing ourselves to be set up for success in the, in the small choices we make, including the company we keep, but also the way we align our sales to the winds of life. And so there's this mix of, of, of that, that wonder takes me to two places. One is uh, certain choices that you that you make are really important. Who you spend time with? Do you take care of your mind and body? Um you know, do you do things for yourself or for or or just for extractive reasons or transactional reasons? Um, and and those those subset of choices mixed with really good luck, I think it's where that 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 wonder sort of nets me. And Johan, for me in my own life, I think I often found when I was thinking of questions or when I was thinking of problems in my own life, what do I want to do? What is meaning? you know, those, those large questions of life, I thought of them as problems. Ooh. And when I, when you said, when you talked about that difference between a question and a problem and a wonder, it made me, like you said, it made me more grateful for that opportunity to have that challenge in the first place. And I think it also de-stressed some of that, that challenge or that, you know, that next step and, and really gave me a, a grounding, like you said, in gratitude. Mm, mm. it's such a great point no that's such a great point that um how we hold something determines whether it's an adventure or whether it's like a constant worry and angst there's this proverb there's this around worry which is worry that is like smoke right it's neither you're neither lit in action 
nor still in inaction. It's actually, it's another, that's another true, true quote, which I've sort of picked up over the years, but I absolutely love, it's from a book called Celebrating Silence. Uh, but I absolutely love that quote. I absolutely love that quote, that simple principle. And so, yeah, do we spend life worrying about the future, about the unknown, around these deeper questions? Or is it a joyful curiosity? And I think so much, Jared, so much of that is shaped by our early life and experiences. Speaking of early life and your early life, you're now a meditation practitioner, a leadership guru, but life hasn't always been that way for you. And you kind of, you've admitted that your youth was a bit troubled. Do you mind sharing what got you out of that troublesome period in your life? Yeah. I mean, that's that wonder of just like, um, that that's that's really the wonder i wouldn't want to give too heavy of an attribution i think i definitely think you know company of the wise as i mentioned i think kindness from others like people who took an interest in me to teach me business you know to see something in me that maybe i didn't see in myself during those years and um and uh yeah and people who, who yeah who who take an interest and I, and I think it can, what's so beautiful in our society is that we, so often we want, you know, something to solve our problems, but it's often in these distributed ways that change actually happens. So like whenever I mentor people now, or whenever I see change, it's often a school teacher, you know, a doctor, uh, even it could be the person in the detention room, uh, who, who doesn't kind of treat you sees you as more than the behavior that you're caught up in. But yeah, I mean, um, my, my challenges were, you know, I grew up in the, in the eighties and at that time there was a, there was a, a lot of bad hair, <laughs> a lot of bad oh. hair, <laughs> a lot of bad hair. Yeah. But, but, but there was, um, there was a number of issues around like addiction. Uh, you know, my brothers got, a, got addicted to drugs when I was quite young. And um, and just some some challenges like that, some early exposure. I had some some learning disabilities. I had meningitis when I was really small, and uh, I almost died uh, whenever I was a baby. And then subsequently, I, I I had some other like disabilities that like I um like physical and that I had to overcome. And so the mixture of kind of what was going on what was going on at home and those, those, those challenges I had to overcome, you know, the way I ended up processing that was, you know, what was, was not always healthy. Um, and it, like many of us and many of us have to go through that journey and in, and in learning how to deal with those aspects of our life that we sort of inherited as kids, like, um, we often learn a lot about ourselves Often the the pain we experience, you know, I lost a sibling this last year. The the pain, the, the pain we experience also brings depth and contrast in life. Gr you know, gratefulness for being alive. So, yeah, I mean, it's how I overcame. I don't know, but I'll, I will share one one story that I think is very very important. Which is, uh, I remember because I had these disabilities. Um one of the things we I used to do is I used to, you know, my, my, my dad and, and my mom, like God bless them. They, 
they wanted me to have every possible advantage and medication and 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 thing that was available for helping you know uh the the i think they were really trying to give me the best of whatever modern psychology could give and so one of the things was like kind of an enablement around extra time on tests or you know making sure to explain to my teachers that i that maybe i wasn't that that i had that i had that I, that i may have certain challenges and i remember going into one city college class i was working i was working on the startup i was waiting tables and i was taking night city college classes and um and i remember thinking like i was going in for a business test and i remember thinking i kind of knew like Half the time when I didn't do well, it was because I didn't really try. Uh, right, I was like holding on to these crutches, and I I just said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna the world doesn't care. I'm gonna leave this city college, and the world is not gonna care if I need some extra time to do something. I mean, they're gonna be able to do it or I'm not, and it's better just to know. And I went in and I. And I took this test, uh, this business test, and I didn't ask for any extra time. The teacher said, do you want extra time? And I said, no. And I got an A. And there was something about that mindset of just, uh, you know, and it, and it goes, that goes also for like just any stories that I want to carry, you know, about how like, you know, my challenges as a youth or um, learning disabilities. And, I, and I'm not saying these things aren't genuine. They're, they're real they're real and at the same time uh we have to transcend them we can't be at a certain point we have to decide that we're not going to be defined by our stories that we're not going to be defined by our stories and our because our stories are limited our stories are limited by our exposure our experiences the frameworks available to us our understanding of our own mind self body human potential and so at a certain point, you know, certain things insulate us. They protect us at times in our life, but then, but then you have to, you have to, you have to transcend past that. You have to try to leapfrog past that. What does that process look like for you to move past those stories that you've told yourself? Yeah, I mean, one is just one is just not putting so much value on any particular thought. I mean, how many thoughts do we have in a day? I have almost none. So. <laughs> Well, that's a blessing, my friend. <laughs> the minority there. Uh, most of us have just thoughts flooding in and out, and um, and and you know, based on different nudges in the environment, based on different biological things happening to us, based on the time, if you believe in in that, like different times or have different elements or motifs to them. Um, so. So yeah, like just not putting so much weight on a particular thought uh, or feeling. They're all signals. They're all signals, but we don't have to weight them so heavily. And so it's this thing of knowing I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings. You know, I'm not just my intellectual ideas. I'm not just the, um, the, 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 the social connections that I have around me. And when you realize that, you realize you're something much bigger. And I think that's the starting place. Everything else, everything else is is sort of you're ju you're jumping from one thing to the next, looking for fullness or meaning. 
and it's like a merry-go-round because you 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 don't end up at any destination you you know you're you're just sort of and and the same goes for desire right there's the the you 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 have one desire you fulfill it then you have another desire you fulfill it you have an as separate from desire we'll say an aspiration you have an aspiration you fulfill it and then it just goes on and on and on like that, right? You need more money. You need better title. You need better optionality when it comes to a mate. You need um, you need more prestige. You you need more recognition. Like and then, but it never it's never full. It just keeps going and going and going. And the same goes for for looking at meanings and limited ideas. And so it's in these it's in these and this goes back to this point of company of the wise and discerning like. What is your what what are you actually pursuing here? And is there a way to be contented? Is there a way to be to realize you're not these limited beliefs, titles, situations in your life? So how do we break that cycle of chasing desire? You know, the college kid that is can't wait to get out of college to get his first job, gets his first job, can't wait to get the promotion, gets the promotion, can't wait to get the car, et cetera, et cetera. Or is there a way? Yeah, of course. Of course there's a way. <laughs> well, I mean, share. Yeah. Well, this, is, this is nothing new. I mean, this is this is something that's that's old. I mean, if you look back at the oldest rishis and sages, like going back many, many thousands of years, they've known the transitory nature of these things. Right? And I think what's so beautiful, I've been reading I've been reading a lot about the the nineteen twenties in, in, in the Himalayan region recently. And um like in the early 1900s, let's say, and, and some of the intellectual thought that was happening at that time and, 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 and spiritual philosophy. And what's so interesting is everything was framed as sort of, there's sort of the mundane householder life, which is a duty, right? You have a family, it's a duty. And then there's the aesthetic, aesthetic life, the life of a sage, the, the life of a renouncian. And what's so beautiful is around that time, it's some of those barriers, like some, you know, started to break in a certain way, um, where where teachers started teaching teaching householders different techniques of meditation and self inquiry, self discovery, and uh, you know, Yogananda uh, Yogananda would very much be in that vein. Um, uh, Brahmananda Saraswati would very much be in that vein, though he was probably more traditional. These are all great, great seers or rishis, as they're called in um, in India. And so I think I think my point, my bigger point here is that um, that the the idea of the transitory nature of life. Also, you know, if you if people like Buddhism, that it's definitely prevalent there. Uh, the, these things, these human conditions, are well known. They're they're well known. They're well researched, and and so often we just have a limited, we have limited tools for for kind of. Well, I think one important component here is there's this idea of experience. We need experience, embodied experience, and we also need the right frameworks and and, and inquiries for understanding, and those two things go hand in hand. But so often we're just lacking those. We sort of inherit whatever the mythology of our time is. So if that's MTV, you know, that's the narrative change of MTV, then that's what we inherit. Nothing, nothing against MTV. It's just, uh, you know, if it's, if it's watching the Kardashians 
and that's our that's our social priming and norming, then it's that. And again, nothing against them, uh, but but it's a it comes back to what do you value, what do you have access to, and what kind of company do you keep? And so I think it's I think it's actually just an exposure uh, thing. But there are many many tools. There are many tools for me. That was with uh, um, breath work is incredibly powerful because breath work is one of the most powerful, effective, simple ways to reset our physiology into a more open, expanded, and flexible state. So that's really, that's really, really important. What, what kind of breath work specifically, Johan, or, or does it matter? Oh, well, you know, there's research on like, like in the 70s when my dad was studying guided imagery and meditation there, you know, there was already literature on like four four breath work, which is cited a lot of that community um i i actually like the the ancient yoga scientists so i as i mentioned i have you know i have learned from expert meditation teacher and you know very revered meditation teacher shishiram shankar um i i think that's really important actually to learn and have humility for a tradition and to be invited into it uh but there there's there's obviously many many approaches the the breath that i use is 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 called sudarshan kriya sky and um and it's a rhythmic breathing exercise and um and what's so fascinating what's so fascinating jared is that and there's a little bit of a an irony in this but many of these ancient they the these these yogic scientists that have been cognized by by great teachers you know are now validated by the west validated by the west so like there's a thousand studies or more a year on yoga, meditation, breath, mindfulness, but it's it's very interesting. It's very interesting, like that we sort of think that the Western science is what validated it. When 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 human experiences, yeah. Whenever Patanjali's wrote Patanjali, you know the Patanjali Yoga Sutras have been around for many many thousands of years and described this phenomenon in very accurate detail, and so. So it's, 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 yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting, but to me, breath is really important. I, I do Sudarshan Kriya, uh, which I have found to be very powerful. I've also found, uh, the, the second thing is like sound-based meditations I've found to be very effective for me personally. Um, and, um, and, and I think this thing of learning from a teacher is so important. So there was actually this study at somebody Somebody I, you know, I know through mutual friends just wrote a story on um, how spiritual communities and yoga communities are narcissistic, that have narcissistic tendencies, and and I I think it was interesting because it he sort of put a Western psychology, you know, lens over looking at this, which is which I would argue is more like pathology driven, like the even the idea of you know narcissism being the primary anchor uh is 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 very interesting i think there's something about not when you don't honor a tradition like in these old days when you would learn these different uh, approaches you would get you would be welcomed in and this is one of the things i love about native traditions is that you're invited in why does that matter well i just think there's something about honoring where something comes from uh and and the and the the spirit of that it's like very welcoming like i'll give you an example i spend a lot of time in hawaii lucky yeah, when you're invited into a into a home, there's a certain honor with that. Where like you bring, 
I'll give you an example, a different example from meditation. When I was growing up, I learned Aikido. And I, and and we were taught, you know, when you go to the dojo, you bring a little flower for the sensei, for the founder of Aikido. Aikido. And it's a, that's a beautiful philosophy around harmony. Yeah. And, and, and not harming others. It, it has, I would argue, it probably has its roots to some extent in, in Ahimsa. And ironically, it was born out of methodologies of, you know, what was arguably 100 years of war in Japan, which is interesting that 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 duality is there. But you would bring a flower, you would bring honor, you would take off your shoes. And so you can get caught, you can get caught in the ritualistic side of that. Uh, and you would show respect to the sensei. Um, you can get caught in the ritualistic side of that. Like it's about bringing the flowers, it's about that. It's about what you honor. It's about like bringing honor to something versus treat like, like I, and I think this is the problem going back to the article. It's that there's a broader normative behavior in society of not honoring things, of seeing things as just for purchase. Yes. For sale. And it's like, oh, I purchased that. Now give it to me. And I, you know, I've led workshops like that where people just show up and, you know, I'm, I'm paying for this. Like <laughs> they want to show, and that's fine. I, I think that what you will get out of something if you don't honor it is it's very different. It, it's very different. Um, so that's why I think it's just nice when when you're invited in, when you're part of a tradition. But, but look, there's nobody owns breath. And uh, also, and there are many forms of effective breath. Like I said, researchers like really like this term for for, for breathing. I think the, the the bigger irony to me is this, that if we look at why we, why maybe things end up in this more self-absorbed frame, even spiritual circles, I think it has to do with not, not, not having honor for where things come from and being more self-focused than other focused. So I, I would argue there's some breakage there from like a tradition of teachers to a tradition of individuals who are, are sharing these things from a more yeah, ego, ego-driven point of view. And that, so th- there's a breakdown there. Anyway, it's a bit more of a meta point we don't need to get into. But <laughs> What's the connection between breath and emotions? It's a great question. It's a great question. So there's been numerous observations on this uh, in research and otherwise. But, but if you notice, every breath has a corresponding emotion. And um, so if you're angry you're breathing a certain way. And if you're, um, if you're sad, your breath pattern is a certain way. Um, right. Whenever we're angry, we're breathing heavy. Whenever we're scared, our breath, we choke up. Right. So, so there, there's this relationship, there's this interconnectivity between that and our, and, and, and I, and I would argue there's interconnectivity also with, with feeling, with emotion, with thought, and the, with somatics, with with our body, right? And we have these different layers of ourselves. So, so yeah, the, it's all very interconnected. And but but what's interesting is we can change. Particularly interesting with breath is we can change the way we feel when we change our breath with intentionality. And breath is one of the few things that is part of the autonomic nervous system, but also that we have some agency over, and and being able to kind of you know, take the wheel and, and, and change it. So yeah, we, 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 
there's been research that's found this, and I've certainly seen it from an experiential and anecdotal point of view with, with many thousands of people, that if you can change your breath, you can often change the way you're feeling. Switching gears just a little bit here, there's somebody that that I really resonate with, a guy named Ray Dalio, founder of Bridgewater Associates. It's a hedge fund, but he does philosophize a little bit. And one thing that he says is around meaningful work. And he says that there's two ways to view work, meaningful work is, or to view work more generally is it's something that we do to explore our passions. Or second, it's something that we do to fund our weekends where we can, can then explore our passions. And it's best to make your life and your work more of the former rather than the latter. And so if that's true, do you have any advice on how we can cultivate meaningful work in our own lives? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I think Ray's a really great, a really brilliant thinker and obviously uh, has thought deeply about these things. And also uh, obviously an incredibly, one of the most accomplished businessmen of our generation or, you know, even the generation before that. I, I, I think Nobody can kind of, I mean, the first thing I would say is nobody should give you your definition uh, of what, what the good life is. <laughs> the, 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 the journey is, is really the blessing in that respect, if you will. The inquiry, if you will, or the wonder, as we kind of started off with. So I think that that's, that's really important. I can tell you what it is for my own life, having caveated that, that nobody should tell anybody else what it is that it's actually the those deeper questions and inquiries that that lead us to to different flavors different motifs of meaning in life. Can you share that with us? Yeah, well, well for me personally it's 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 around being other focused than self focused or being you know in whenever I'm in service whenever I'm in gratitude or service when I whenever I have an attitude I don't need anything I'm just here to be of service. Not not in a cheesy kind of customer nineteen eighties like customer service sort of training, like in the sense of for for your job, like in, in the sense of like for humanity, for that which goes beyond. And yeah, I, I find whenever I have those two things prominent in, as prominent flavors in my life, my life is so much better. And how did you figure that out for yourself? Was that just going back to the question versus a wonder? No, no. I mean, I think that's, again, this goes back to, uh, for me, it was a bit of luck. You know, my, my dad is big into uh, like uh, recovery circles and he had introduced me, he and my mom had introduced me to meditation at a very young age. Um, but uh, yeah, just, just being grateful is something I, I've seen him habituate uh, over the years. And um and then it's something where I've had my own experiences with where whenever you feel like a lot of gratefulness and whenever you feel of service to others, um, you just know it, you know, like I, for me, and this is where the trial and error, like I said, the pursuit is half of it. Like, like try and go do something for, you know, do pursue some desire, get the desire and see how long it lasts for you. I'm not, I'm not saying people shouldn't pursue their goals. They absolutely should. But just don't have the illusion that it's going to bring you some kind of fulfillment. So it's a te- for me, it's a test and learn phenomenon, right? Like I, I do this and, and I see. And I have, a, I, have a, I have a, you know, a hypothesis around if it's how it's going to turn out. And, and for me, the trial and error again and again has led me to this place that those two things are really 
incredibly important being of service to other and being in gratitude. And, and, those, and again, like what I've learned is that those are ancient principles that humans have grappled with in the human condition for a long time. I think we live in just a particular time. So, so I would say if you can hold contentment, but still pursue your goals and, and you can hold gratitude, but still be driven to pursue your goals and maintain your life and, you know, accumulate enough wealth for yourself. Um, then you, you've already won. But if you, if you think that the pursuit of those other things is going to, it's going to bring, bring you that meaning and, 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 enjoy then you know try it try it i don't know maybe for some people it will bring them where they want to go for me personally it, it it's been those other two things habituating gratitude and 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 constantly asking how can i be of service and 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 minimizing my own needs johan getting to that end state or quote unquote end state where you are now in finding what a meaningful life looks like for you has that been an intentional process where I try X and with an with an X hypothesis to see what the result is, or has that just been a trial and error where the results at the end are fairly obvious, or a mixture of both? Yeah, I mean a mix of everything, right? Like I it, certainly not deliberate. Sometimes you do something and you kind of feel stuck or you don't feel happy, and then you're like, well, okay, well, let me try something else. <laughs> not doing that anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's amazing how long we're willing to stay in those states, honestly, uh, with some small joys or some small thing that looks like a win based on, you know, whatever, whatever it is we're aspiring to at the time. Yeah. But I, I think it, I think this all comes back to self-awareness and this is why the, the contemplative and restorative and, you know, meditation practices are so important. When we have self-awareness, when we're able to expand beyond our thought, immediate thoughts, feelings, context, um, then we have perspective. And when we have, and this is one of the reasons people used to do hallucinogens, um, which I used to, you, you still do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're right. There's a huge micro. I'm personally not in favor of our artificially stimulated states. I don't think they're all bad. I think too often they're used in bad ways uh, as crutches, but but um, yeah, whenever you once you have that broader perspective, then you have choice, right? You have new angles to look at things through, and and then and then you can move without that expanded awareness. It's very hard to even see beyond. It's sometimes even hard to recognize that the place you are isn't where you want to be. Um, but then I also think there's this thing of the endless pursuit, which is problematic. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, which is like, I need to just keep fixing myself. Like a fundamental deficit mindset of like, I, I'm broken. I need to keep improving myself. I need to go through more transformational experience continuously. Like um, at, at a certain point, like you also have to be okay with yourself. There is no end, like end fixing point. And, I, and for myself, I'm far from that. Like, you know, life ebbs and flows. Last year was a very hard year for me in the pandemic. Losing a family member, having COVID, um, it it didn't. Uh, huge parts of last year didn't feel joyful. They felt like part of living. They brought out a certain depth and perseverance, but they certainly weren't joyful. You know, so I think it's this this ability to accept 
and move through. There's this word in Sanskrit called tapasya, which means just forbearance. And um, this ability to forbear and, and have discipline. And, and I, I think going back to your, your broader question and motif of, of this conversation, I actually love a particular f- framework in Sanskrit, which just has to do with there's these three concepts and potentially all the yoga tradition comes out of, uh, you know, most of what we call yoga is, you could argue, comes out of the branches of yoga and Patanjali's. Um, and I don't just mean like physical postures. I mean, there, there's, you know, yoga just means union, union of the mind, body, breath, spirit. It's like a certain alignment. Uh, there's a there's a concept in there of um, um, tamasic, which is more like inert, more dull energy. Like think of a really kind of, you know, dive dive bar where everybody's in there drinking at 10 a.m. or something like that. That would be sort of that energy, right? A rajasic energy, which is more like activated, but has some angst underneath it. Um, and then a, a sophic energy, which is just like an, a more uplifted. Think of somebody who's really taking care of their mind, body, well-being, and, and their mind is just sort of lifted. They're in the company of they're in good company and they're pursuing, you know, meaningful inquiries in life. Um, This framework is really nice. And one of the the things that distinguishes these different characteristics, one of the things is this ability to have forbearance. That like immediate sort of joys or, or gratifications would, 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 would fall more between this loop between, Tamasic and Rajasic, whereas more more sustained states often have this discipline and forbearance to move through our emotions, to be present with them, to move through our thoughts. Um, So to give you an example, like let's just say we're going through a bad time and we're constantly distracting ourselves. We're constantly looking at our phone or this thing and we're jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing, right? And then we go into a place of melancholy and then we go back and we kind of distract ourselves again. Like just being able to move through that allows it to be finished, you know, it allows you to be present with it and then move on where the other way you're getting some immediate relief, but you're ultimately, you know, sort of just putting off whatever's there. And and then that sort of has downstream ripple effects uh, in your life. In, in that same vein, Johan, Viktor Frankl in A Man's Search for Meaning, detailing his experience uh, during the Holocaust, a really seminal book, obviously, and he talks about finding meaning even in suffering. And it sounds like that last year that you described had a lot of suffering. Did you take any lessons away from that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to use the word suffering because I feel like on balance, I felt very fortunate to have tools to just kind of have forbearance during it. But absolutely, one of the big lessons for me was, uh, was, you know, love is not, emotions are not monolithic. It's kind of a, um, something I've been writing about. I'm actually, this is something I want, I want to write about much more. Emotions are not monolithic. So we think of, we like to think in categorical thinking, sad, happy, this, that. Right? But Most, it's, it's a spectrum. Yeah, most nothing fits into a perfect category. And categorical thinking is helpful for us to kind of place something, but it's harmful 
and that it reduces something that is far more nuanced and complex and does you know doesn't fit in these clean neat little categories um and so for me one of those things has been you know i we know that about love right like different love can take different manifestations there's a whole book of sutras just around aphorisms of love it's called narada bhakti sutras very old sanskrit text very beautiful um but but in in more modern life for me like i've been thinking a lot about like sadness is not monolithic or grief is not monolithic like grief sadness can have i mean even the word is incomplete but can have gratitude as part of it and this goes back to the stories that we tell right like oh i'm going through something like and then that becomes this sort of arc that our life is anchored in for a period of time well that's not that's not always how it is like you know my grandfather who i was very close to passed this year and i felt so much gratitude jared Mm -hmm. for his life i mean speaking of this i've been thinking a lot about the the concentration camp because he it really affected him when he was fighting the nazis he they broke through the german lines and they ended up in the concentration camps and while he never spoke about it much with me i knew that it really affected him um and uh but so yeah, the, like I felt so much gratitude. I felt so much gratitude, and I felt sad at the same time. And, and my emotions are not a monolith, right? And if I drop the story, I can just be present to that. And then other, other, other times, you know, my brother passing last year, I felt a lot of regret, sadness for his life. He struggled with addiction, and I, you know, I wish certain things could be different. Um. And ultimately you accept and you, you move forward. But, and even within both of those use cases, so many things could come up. Right. And, and so it's just the, the, so I think the lesson for me was complexity, but the other is just contact with life. You, you, whenever you're really present to whatever's happening, whether it's unpleasant or pleasant, don't give that so much meaning you really get this contact with life in a certain kind of way. And I love this quote. I I don't remember. I don't remember where I got it from. It may have been my dad and he may have picked it up from somewhere else, but he says most said something like most people are afraid to live and most people are afraid to die. Wow. And isn't that so similar to the smoke analogy? Mm. Mm. Yes. Where we're living in this state that's neither living nor dead. Yes instead of maybe taking more of a mindful approach to living. And I find that in my own life with pain, for example, which is something I've personally always been afraid of. And as soon as I at least have leaned into that pain and moments of pain, that I find that that is diminished, that sensation is diminished versus the anxious state prior to that, which which actually increases that sensation. Yeah, it's a great point. You spoke of this constant need to improve. And I see this all the time with people and I'm guilty of it myself. How do we break out of that? Is there a way? Well, for me, I, again, I, I think there's probably many ways. <laughs> Give but, us the one though, if you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just turn off, you just turn off the podcast when somebody has that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one way to live. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, for me, that was just, again, expanding beyond these limited definitions. 
And so, so a lot of that for me was through different inquiries and contemplative experiences and um, experiences in meditation and th that I've had over the years, um, which really showed me that I'm not these limited beliefs. And um, there, there's just so much to us, Jared. I, I, I think whenever, whenever we feel we know, uh, or whenever our world becomes very small, we, we miss out on so much. We miss out on so much, and yet the yet the, the you know the ego wants to 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 do what's complicated. It wants to kind of fix things, and it wants to um, ossify and feel stable in something. But you know, and we I need thought that. that was just being a man. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, but that's a whole other theme, right? But what does that mean? Um, what does it mean to be, a, you know, a man or a healthy man or, you know, what what is that? But, yeah, I, I think it's expanding beyond these limited beliefs is really the key there, uh, uh, is really the key. And then then good inquiry, good inquiries in the sense that some inquiries bring us to very relative answers, like this thing of a question and answer we were talking about, like, you know, what is, what is, you know, you want to know a very particular narrow thing and you want a very static answer. Yes. Right. And so I think it's that mix of dropping the limited belief stories, identifications, but then also having inquiries like who am I is one that has been around for a long time. We're new again and again. Every moment is changing. We're changing. Our cells are changing. The environment around us is changing. Right. And um, can we just be present that we're new again and again and, and see life anew again and again? And I think that's, you know, I'm certainly not there uh, on a regular basis, but that's what I think. And this is why I, I really love the idea of honoring great teachers of the past and the present is that that is what they model for us. It sounds like a lot of what you're talking about is embracing nuance where as humans, we're looking for answers that are binary, do this, don't do that, feel this, don't feel that. And even in our emotional states where we want to feel just happiness and we don't consider the spectrum. Is that fair? Yeah, it is fair. It is fair. I mean, I, I think there's a trap in that too. I think that that's certainly part of it. You have I, to give your answer in a binary way if you can. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, no, I think that that is true. The first step is realizing that the answers aren't so sim simple, or maybe they're incredibly simple. Right. We're making them complex. So I think nuance is helpful, but I think you can end up in the like, you know, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, like everything is like such a nuanced debate. But, you know, at, at the end of that, how much joy do you feel? At the end of that, like, are there other places to transcend into? other other motifs so i think there could be a bit of like ego and intellectual trap sometimes by making everything too complicated and too nuanced and this goes back to our ego right our ego likes that which is complicated so there's nuance even within nuance yeah there's subtlety. <laughs> there's subtlety i what i'll say is what we what i i mean again i'm just armed i'm just pontificating something else but uh but if I'm sharing from my own experience, what I think we want is a breadth of perspective and a depth and subtlety 
of sensitivity more than nuance. Yes. If that makes sense. So we want to have a broad lens on the world, life, but then we also want that deep, subtlest, down to the, the most sensitive nuance. And that's what's so incredible about being human. That's what's so incredible about human. We can cultivate this nervous system, these emotions, these, but we, they don't have to all live in, you know, intellectual constructs, I guess is what I'm saying. Those are, those are useful. They can bring us to the door, but you know, will they bring us in the house? Will they bring us in belonging? Will they bring us in, into a sense of contentment, which arguably is there, right? When you take away the desires, the thoughts, the angst, it, you know, maybe it was there all along and we just needed to cultivate it. You talk a lot about discernment, Johan. Uh, why does that matter? Well, in my own life, it matters because the pursuit of the wrong things, like discerning what things to pursue and not pursue, just to stay on the motif of the conversation, is so important, right? If I'm, if I'm chasing something, assuming it's going to bring me a meaningful life, you know, it's really important that I discern what I'm pursuing um, really can bring me to that place uh, where so often we don't discern. We sort of inherit social contracts, beliefs, relationships, um, and we just pursue them, right? Like uh, without much thought, like, okay, these are the pathways for being important. And so I'm going to pursue one of those, right? And um, these are the beliefs of the in-group we want to be part of. And we just, ex we just inherit those. How do we discern better then, knowing that it's important? I think you cultivate it. I think it's a cultivation. So the Sanskrit word for this, it means, I, I don't love this translation because I think we have a heuristic around it, but it means like a discrimination like the ability to discriminate between that which is useful and pro, you know, life supporting and, and, and bringing us closer to gratitude, joy, contentment, service to others, I would argue are th that's, that's sort of the things that I would value uh, versus other things. Like, so in my own thought process, that would be more self-driven and, media gratification, um, things that are appear shiny and nice, but end up not being great places to live in terms of certain types of ego identification, etc. So, so I think it's a matter of cultivating it, cultivating it, and having this choice of discerning what, you know, what thoughts am I going to anchor on? What feelings am I going to anchor on? What, what social contracts am I going to be part of? with a certain intentionality and then ultimately ultimately it's discerning like what we are and i think this is where this is where you go from gross to more subtle points of view which w would be harder to explain in a, in a podcast but you know discerning some people would discern that the 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 pursuit of unity the the pursuit of um what what is called um Nirvana and with the Buddhist, what is called contentment, the you know enlightenment for others, what is called um, unity for some um, samadhi is the is the term used in um, used in Patanjali's, uh, and so some people would determine that is the, that is the deeper pursuit of life, you know I I I prescribe to that some 
Like we all want to feel peace. Mm -hmm. We all want to feel contentment. We all want to feel a sense we belong. So I, I think you could read many philosophers and end up deciding that different things are what matters, but discerning for yourself uh, and, and, and also learning from the wise, learning from the greats who have pursued these topics, not just, I, you know, I'm referencing a lot of Sanskrit. There's been so many beautiful thinkers, you know, in the history of humanity, so many that we don't even know about. On this theme of what matters in life, why do you think that love is the most important quality for a leader to have? Well, I think I think I should caveat that by saying, you know, or if you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, ca competency matters, right? If you're going to be a leader, like you need you need some, but it goes back to what is what is the role of a leader, right? Is the role of a leader to be this inspiring out in front, you know, what I'll call like sort of a contemporary definition of that uh, versus caring about others, caring about those we serve. So to me, um, yeah, if let's say you get to a certain ends, you can pursue a certain greatness in business or whatnot, um, but you've done it in a way that has been harmful to others. You know, would you consider that a success? I mean, some people, maybe they would. Uh, for me personally, I think if you hold that principle at the center, then you care about yourself. You care about your own family, your own mental and emotional well-being. Um, you, you, you care about your community. You care about your customers. You care about your employees, right? So that expanded sense of that, and I think if you do that, and you have competency, commitment, you're able to inspire others toward a common vision, um, then you can do things in a way where you can achieve the results and also not. Now, let's say the reverse. What is the reverse of love? Let's just say for, for this conversation, it's hate or anger or, you know, deficiency, kind of greed. It's one of the, one of those things. Now, let's say you pursue your goals and you land you you land at the outcome that you wanted, but that's how you got there. You know, endless battles that that really tore you up for years. Lawsuits. I mean, listen to business wars on you know the podcast business wars. Look how consumed people get fighting each other. It's it's it's. I mean, it we we hold up certain things. This goes back to the sermon. We hold up certain things as success. How you get there matters to me, and and also what you hold is what your what your life becomes. So if it's if it's you know those other what I would call sort of lower order aspirations then 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 that's what that's what your life becomes about and if you're holding kindness caring for others, you know love for a broader humanity, then that motif may be more prominent in your life and in your outcomes. And look, you, you can't be naive. You have to be smart. I'm not saying people, you know, you obviously need good lawyers. You need, you, you need, you know, to be smart. You need to do things, you know, right. But you don't have to, but it's kind of like, what is your anchor? What is your anchor? It sounds like discernment is almost at the root of all of these things that we've talked about today. It's at the root of leadership. It's at the root of a meaningful life. It's at the root of happiness. Would you agree? Yeah. And I, I might just say self, self-awareness, 
um, because self-awareness allows you to discern. If you don't have the there, so there's maybe something underneath that. Building the muscle of discernment of what we choose to honor, what we choose to pursue, the beliefs we choose to hold as the narrative and meaning making that we do. Very important, very important. But if we don't have the self-awareness, then, you know, we don't have the choice, really. We're just sort of in that. Um, does that make sense? You don't, you don't have any other frame of reference to, to move out of it. You don't even realize it's an optionality. So, um, yeah, I think it's a mixture of self-awareness and discernment would be deeply, at least, you know, definitely toward the top of the list. To end off, I want to ask you, is what's holding you back from a higher level of fulfillment or enjoyment? Or what is that next step in Johann Berlin? What does that look like? Well, I'll have to take that as a wonder. <laughs> and and I think that's what I'll carry forward. Uh, that's what I'll carry forward because you don't know, Jared. You don't know. You'll know when you feel it, when you sense it, when you run into it. Um, and and that's the beautiful thing about life as a teacher. Um, there is no shortage of opportunities to learn and grow and discover new things, new, new dimensions um, about yourself, about the world, about the universe we live in, and about other people. You know, it's, it's such a complex web of, of life. And um, yeah, and just choosing to see that as a, as a, as a, as a joyous wonder, as an adventure and re realizing also that, you know, there will be difficult times in the journey and having that forbearance, that tapasya to move through it with courage and, 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 and trust. And, um, it's so important. Well, we started with the difference between a question and a wonder, and we wrap up with the difference between a question and a wonder. So, Johan, I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You're somebody that's obviously achieved so many great things, and you're just a thoughtful, intelligent, and caring person. And I think that really came through in the interview today. And so I just really want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us. For the listeners, if you want to learn more about Johan, you can find him personally on his website at johanberlin.com. And you can find the TLEX Institute on their website at tlexinstitute.com. Johan, my friend, thank you so, so much for joining us. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Jared. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've got your back, and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.